Right now on Amplified, the Engineers Journal podcast, we're about to talk career progression. Somebody with an inquisitive mindset and somebody that wants to find solutions. I totally agree about problem solving. If there were no problems, none of us would have any job. It's about finding your way through the problems and being able to identify solutions for a problem that gives the best benefits. Openness to new learnings and that enthusiasm for new learning. Hello there, my name is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Amplified, the Engineer's Journal podcast. As the old song says, the only way is up, but many people in engineering can struggle to make that next step getting up the ladder. However, one of the great things about engineering is that there is unlimited opportunity for learning and development, and there is lots to be learned from those who've come before. So today we're with two people who we hope will inspire us to reach for the next rung. First off, joining us, we have the Director of Professional Services with TII, who has over 30 years of experience in transport planning, project appraisal and project management. Helen Hughes, thank you very much for joining us today. Good morning, Dusty. And we're also chatting with the Director of Operations with Jacobs, who brings 20 years of his engineering experience predominantly in the development and construction of national infrastructure. Gillian Bolton, you're very welcome as well. Thank you, Dusty. So, Helen, tell us, how did you first get involved in engineering? Um, Well, obviously, I studied engineering. I actually went to UCD and then I was very interested in water and wastewater at the time. But I graduated in the late 80s and went directly to England. And my first project was on a motorway construction site. So since then, I never actually worked in anything but transport, both from construction, design, delivery all the way through in all the phases of these projects. And Gillian, how about yourself? How did you get, how did you get into this business? Well, interestingly, I was also, when I f- finished university, I was also mostly interested in water and wastewater se- sector. But originally, I also went into the transportation side. So um, <laughs> I worked on some of the major interurban highways in, in Ireland for maybe the first sort of eight or nine years. And then with the establishment of the, the water u- utility in Ireland, maybe by 10 years ago and then spent nearly the last 10 years there as well. And is this a kind of a thing with, with, with both of you where you kind of, you got into engineering first and it was only after you got involved that you found your, your love? And love, love of engineering. That's a strong word. <laughs> but I think the thing that's very rewarding is that you can see very visibly the difference you make. So you've got something tangible at the end of it and it, you know, you're delivering infrastructure for the people of Ireland, really. And it's uh, quite gratifying. And that's a huge legacy for generations to come, you know, whether we'll be driving on electric or automated vehicles or a railway line, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an infrastructure there, like the railways of the Victorian era. So the, the love is directly related to the, the impact you're making. I was just going to say, like, there's a there's a real, you can see a real, that people have a real passion about, about not necessarily about like the, the engineering technical details, but it's about the delivery of something that is, is valuable and worthwhile and can make a difference to people's lives. Helen, can I ask you kind of like looking back over the last, whatever, 10, 15 years or so, how do you think engineering as a profession has evolved? In the last 10, 15 years, I think it's definitely engineers now are working as part of a multidisciplinary team, which is very, you know, it's very interesting and it really helps your engineering skills. Well, I, I would agree, first of all, with Helen, 
originally kind of engineering was in isolation, but now all of their projects are delivered by each of those sort of elements coming together in order to successfully deliver the project. It can't be done on its own. But the real shift, I think, in the last maybe five plus years is around, Helen, what you mentioned around sustainability and also the digital piece. You know, that those, those are how we're going to sort of uh, well, I mean, society is moving along in the, in that regard, and there's expectations around sustainability, and there's um, there's regulatory requirements in terms of meeting carbon targets, but also the pace of digital is just unbelievable. So, you know, as an engineering industry, we have to try to also keep up with that. So, how do you see that, Gillian? Kind of like if you were to look like, let's just say, five years into in, into the future, or even say twenty thirty or whatever, where, where do you think it's going to be, or what do you, do you think will be a, a fundamental change? Well, I, I hope that all of the projects that we are working towards delivering and programs of work that they're that sustainability and carbon management is a is a driver as opposed to being an add on or a, as a as a something else just to do that. You know, energy efficiency reduction in carbon. Um, um, catchment management type approaches or, or systems management types approaches where it all needs to come together to make a really effective solutions and to make really positive um, shifts for, for society going forward. So I think hopefully in that in that time frame, we are looking at our programs of work and our projects from a from a whole systems approach rather than in isolation. Just on that whole aspect, for example, now transportation is very linked in with the whole energy sector as we go to electrify uh, our fleets. But it's also linked into the communication networks because we will need to link into 5G uh, networks to communicate between vehicles as part of this connected world. So we'll, so now you're interfacing with communications, electrification and transport. Transport before was just transport. So that, that interdisciplinary nature is fascinating. And I always remember when we... As a student, we talked about engineering, harnessing the great forces of nature and that whole area of resources and using use of resources and and efficient use of resources is is another key aspect of the work we're doing. Can I ask you, Helen, uh, because you mentioned electric vehicles and I think everybody's kind of thinking, well, well, we're definitely going electric vehicles and there's EU kind of everything. But you said 5G as well. And I know internet is important, and I would imagine at a national level, when you're talking, you know, kind of like you know, trains and uh, planes and, and and buses and uh, those kind of things. Do you think five G is going to make its way into our cars? I do. Uh, all cars will be connected to the internet. I think all cars at the moment on production will be. So instead of us putting up um, variable message signs on our on the motorway network, you're going to get messages into your car saying. A, a road works uh, ahead in three kilometres. Beware! Instead of putting up with these hard gantries, you're going to be told there is a accident ten kilometres ahead. Maybe you want to divert to another route. So that whole um, messaging information will be a key part of how we travel in the future. And it's quite. I mean, it's we have it today on our on our mobile phones. So if you've got Google Maps or something like that, or you're linking in with Apple CarPlay or Android uh, uh, Auto or whatever, it will tell you that there's a problem up ahead. And what I find amazing is that it will tell you that it's going to cause you a seven and a half minute delay. <laughs> and, and 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 it can be quite accurate sometimes. It's quite scary. But you think that that is going to be actually built into the motor vehicle itself into the dash. It will be, you can get your onboard unit, it'll be part of a standard dashboard. So you won't be, hopefully won't be distracted looking at your phone. 
Listen, uh, I want to chat with you both about uh, careers, but before we kind of get on to that, uh, on our last episode of the podcast, there was a very big emphasis on the importance of safety in engineering. And I just want to have a quick chat with uh, uh, both of you about that. Gillian, the well-being of employees, I mean, it's hugely important and it's very high. It can be a very high pressure and fast moving industry. What do you feel the industry is getting right and wrong with well-being? I think there's a lot of change you can see you can see in the industry. I think I don't know Helen if you agree. Um you can see a lot more um talk and a lot more initiatives and a lot more consideration around things like um uh, uh we call them mental health first aiders but there's other ter- there's other um terminologies and other organizations about so it's not just again about the um when you're out and you're you're on a build, on a construction site it's about it's exactly, a whole yeah. picture. So um, I do think that's really mm. encouraging to see. I think that, um, you know, I think that people are more uh, considered of, of their own work-life balance and their own expectations and their own needs around what they want from their career and what they want from their employer. So that obviously has a, has a benefit from a well-being perspective as well. And needs to be, we need to be mindful of that, you know, that people, work is not everything. You know that there is there's a lot more to people's lives now. Helen, do you think that when you're looking at it from a managerial point of view, that when you take a person's work-life balance and their wellness and safety and kind of look at it all together, that you're getting more out of people? I just see it as part of good management, like this work-life balance. So what initiatives can you help do to help work-life balance? So we have a policy for digital switch-offs so that you don't send emails after six o'clock, only if it's urgent. So people need to be able to switch off, I think, now that we're working in a more blended way, even more so, we have to be able to say, okay, this is switch off at a certain time and not be always on. And I think that's this always on culture, Uh, even talking to people now, people are saying they're going to leave their mobile phones off for, you know, six hours, 12 hours. So this switch off, we're not, we shouldn't be always on. We never were in the past. I think that's, that's huge. Um, but generally, we we look at sick leave statistics, check that they're sort of in sort of in line with what's normal, uh, certified sick, you know, um, how many people we have as employee assistance programs, how many people are benefiting that because there has been a you know a rise in anxiety since COVID. So we monitor those things we can measure. We monitor, mm. and mm. then we just uh, do sort of employee engagement sort of check-ins very, very often. So to try and really promote a safety culture in the organisation. But I'm also in charge of road safety, construction safety, light rail safety and occupational safety. So safety is a core part of my job. And when you are looking at out there in the world, because we're talking a lot about office-based stuff, but when you're on site, what what ways are, are safety changing? What's what's the concern in your head? Well, I think the, the the good things that happened when I worked in a construction site in the UK, um, my site induction was honest. The resident engineer said to me, on a site this size, there's going to be two fatalities. That's the statistical norm. And what he should have said to me is, on a site this got size, statistically there may be two, but on this site there's going to be zero. So is that fatalism that that's just the way it was? So that that's mm. a huge positive change that, no, this is not acceptable. So this zero tolerance has, it's not just a, 
nice thing to say. It's definitely happening. It's also happening for insurance reasons as contractors do not want to have, um, you know, large, any fatalities or serious injuries on their construction sites. So there's a lot of motivators for that, as well as obviously the, the, the moral, <laughs> the moral of there's, there's, there's financial and economic considerations too. So huge change. I'd say we never get complacent. The whole area of monitoring and data and saying, how are we doing? Like we report every month on to our board on safety um, and we need the good quality information. Gillian, you look slightly shocked and I am as well when you say, when you look at a site and there's going to be X amount of deaths, well, what's going through your head about what uh, Helen is saying? I mean, it is a fact and, and it's, it's really, as you say, Helen, it's incredible to think that that's not acceptable anymore and it's it's and that and it isn't you know and i think the some of what it, we were talking there about well-being it's also about um somebody mentioned it like psychological safety that you know our, when we have people on site that they are they feel comfortable to say i don't feel like this is a safe environment or i don't feel like this is safe behavior and mm. whether or not they're mm. wrong it shouldn't matter, you know, if it doesn't it, and, and they should feel confident that we'll stand behind them and we'll say, that's fine. You, you didn't feel safe in that environment and you were right to call it out, right to get it checked, right to have people take a step back. It's, it's a big thing we talk about. Take a step back, have a think about it again, make sure you're comfortable and then see see how we can go at it again. I forgot to mention, in fact, uh, on that site, there were two fatalities. So it was just yeah. a self-fulfilling prophecy. So but look, things are a lot better now. Thank goodness. Well, thankfully, we're not in the days. I remember when I was visiting New York and the Empire State Building and they said there was one fatality per floor. Anyway, listen, let's move away from that and uh, chat about kind of moving up the ladder, as it were, uh, because, I mean, you both have a great perspective from from a management role. And that's kind of what I want to tap into on the uh, on the podcast today. Uh, and somebody who's kind of listening, and kind of going, I want to move up. Or how do I do it? Or what's the best way? Or what are shortcuts? Or what are the, you know, kind of the proven techniques? It's, it's those kind of things I want to find out about. Uh, can I start with yourself, Gillian? What advice would you have for someone who wants to move up the ladder in engineering? Yeah, I would I would say making sure that you're looking up and you're looking out and also saying um, making sure that you're or, or saying yes to to being asked to do various different things that may not as far as you're concerned, be solely related to the role that you're doing now. So, you know, the engineering, like Helen was saying earlier, it's it, it's there's so many different disciplines now and there's so many different aspects and it's not just purely doing the the design that's in front of you on the, or or on the computer I suppose more to the point now from from my perspective in in, in industry you know there's work on, on tendering and getting new work and and uh, engaging with clients and um and then there's all the whole people management side like we still need to run all of that people perspective and it's and it's not just in in isolation of a project so i would say it's saying yes to other things that may not be just purely in the little engineering field that you're in but it's also looking up from what you're doing at the moment and that's what i would always say you've got to know not not to know but you've got to keep be aware of what else is going on within your organization or and within your sector and even within the wider um infrastructure infrastructure sector and Helen, what advice would you have for somebody wanting to move up? Well, I'd echo um, Gillian's uh, advice about volunteering and being open to learning. And, and really that links in with, you know, CPD that Engineers Ireland encourages 
So we're moving beyond competence. That's just taken as a given. So then the other area is very much networking. You have to network with people in your field and outside your field um, to learn and, and, and you know that they, that you always learn from networking and, and, and consciously network. And you can use Engineers Ireland forum, different conferences. Networking is key. But visibility, you need to be visible. It's not good enough being really good at your job and expecting somebody to, not, to tap on your shoulder and say, yeah, this is the job for you. So you to take a proactive approach to your career development and not waiting for somebody to, to suggest something to you. In, in that area, then you need to eventually say, well, I need to learn some of the softer skills too if you're going to go up. We, when I, about 10 years ago, I did training from technical expert to leadership. So a lot of that pe- engineers do that transition. Being technical can't be competent and now they want to be competent in management. So that's a huge area as well. So when you're saying uh, you can't wait for somebody to tap you on the shoulder, you've got to go out and get it. So that's kind of like you're almost, you almost need to advertise. I want to move on in the career. I want to go places. I want to do better than where I am now. And it, a lot of people would feel that seems very egotistical of me or people will look at me and they go, oh man, look, look, look at your man or your woman and big head on her and, you know, kind of all that kind of stuff. H- how do you do it in a sensible way, Helen? Well, you don't want to be a pain in the neck either. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, balance this between, well, volunteering, I think, um, as Julian said, you know, do give a talk if there's, they're looking for lunchtime talks in your organisation for, for younger engineers, uh, volunteer it to do things. So write a paper, do an article for a journal, you know, to put in your head, uh, head up, but volunteering for a committee in work, you know, whether it's the health and safety committee or the, the procurement committee, whatever committee, just, just get out of your comfort zone. Gillian? Um, it, it's about being visible. It's not that you have to say, I want to be this or I want to be that, but equally it might be somebody saying, oh, I really need help urgently with with such and such a thing that's maybe not quite day to day day job. Yeah, I'll help out. No problem. And then you're, you, you, you become more seen within your organization. You become seen within your, within your team. And when other, when opportunities come through to your managers or to, to, to senior people within the, within your, your organization, they'll think, oh, Helen was really helpful and she was really, um, she put herself up, she put herself out there and I'd really like to give her this opportunity. So, so that, that way for people that maybe aren't quite so outspoken or maybe aren't quite so comfortable pushing themselves up, that's also a way, but it still comes back to the part of you've got to put your head up and you've got to be visible. Another aspect was showing up and actually at, at any opportunity of a meeting or something, be somebody who, yeah, recognizes the problems, but offers solutions. And I think that's really important that you always are suggesting things, looking at innovative ways of doing things. So really showing up. Even if it's wrong, you know, like if someone comes to you and says, (laughs) I have this problem, but I think this might be the answer. That is so much better than someone that just comes and says, I have a problem. You think, right, we'll come up with something. (laughs) Even if it's not the right answer, you know, you can help. Yeah, exactly. They've tried and it might just be that they haven't hit on the right thing or they haven't the right experience to have to come up with the right answer, but at least they've tried and you will reckon that's recognizable and valued. 
What I love about what you are both saying is that you're not just giving this advice to people. This is stuff that's happened to you and this is stuff that you've done and the proof is there. I mean, you're both doing very well in, in your career. And, and for myself, networking was always a mystery to me. What is networking? How do you do it? And then eventually I twigged. It's as you say, it's showing up and, and meeting somebody. Go, Hello, how are you? Yeah, I'm Dusty and you are blah, blah. Networking is people you've met. And it's as simple as that. You don't have to be friends or you don't have to be, you know, sucking up to them all the time or whatever. It's literally just somebody you've met. And as you said, uh, Gillian, then when they're looking for somebody, they go, oh, what's the, well, what's the name of that fellow that we met or, or whatever? Like, you know, so. But uh, away from the, the, the networking and, and kind of the uh, advice that you have for people moving up the ladder, what about the actual path going into management? What does that look like? So I'm originally a civil engineer and so I kind of moved from, I guess, the purely technical civil engineering approach into kind of contract documents and then into project management. Then some of the some of the sort of softer skills that Helen mentioned and that sort of managerial skills around people management and, um, you know, engagement around progressing the progressing our business and growth of our business sort of was more visible to me and more available to me. And I took those opportunities to, to, to go on to them. So um, that's how it worked for me. I mean, I don't know. It depends. You know, you've got kind of, we would also have very senior um, heads of discipline, you know, who would still be very technical people, but that would be equally a managerial role. But, but my role is more operational and I you know, I manage our team. I support them from a people perspective, but I also support them from a delivery of projects and, and programs from a like a project director or an oversight role as well. And I'm responsible for that, you know, for the delivery and the growth of those those um, programs of work. So that's how that's that's that was my route. Um, I, but I think there's probably lots of different ones um, and it and it will be different depending on people's preferential skill set or their, you know, their, what they do really well. So obviously people that go into more of a head of discipline managerial role are, are obviously quite knowledgeable, technical um, experts. Does that sound familiar to you, Helen, or did you have a different path progressing into uh, management? It's a very gradual process. So you, it normally starts with having one or two people reporting to you and then you learning people management skills gradually and and then eventually then if you have a larger team I have six people reporting to me then you you hone that skill and you learn how to get the best out of people and how to understand their different perspectives and managing different personalities when you say it's a gradual process it, it makes it sound like it's very long. <laughs> I mean, how, how long does it take to get into management? Are you, are you talking like a year, two years, five years, 10 years? I don't think people necessarily go, you know, people start in our sector as engineers and that's what they want to do. Um, yeah. It's, it's uh, but I think it's a good point that you made as, as well, Helen. Like we're still originally engineers. Not all engineers will make good people managers. <laughs> so you've got to. <laughs> I'm managing archaeologists and environmental scientists people who, are, who aren't engineers. So it's learning how to manage people that are beyond, not in your area of speciality, is a yeah. key skill. It doesn't matter that I know exactly. very little about archaeology, although I'm learning a lot. I can manage the archaeology team because I am a manager. 
even though it's my expertise. But that's a good, that's an end, like projects have so many range of disciplines in it. And as a project manager or as a manager, you can't understand all of them, but you need to just be able to know how to get the best out of, out of the people on your team. And just to know how much yes. that you yeah. need to know. So that's what balance of, you know, you need to call core, core information. You don't know to need to go into the weeds. So it's keeping that high level overview, but not losing the important facts which is as you get more and more, I used to remember when a famous politician saying, I just want an A4 sheet of, you know, the briefed. And I understand that more and more as I move up in management. Um, we all get into engineering for our own various, you know, reasons for getting into engineering. But then when you're moving into management, it's almost like a completely different skill. What kind of, of uh, learning is there for people who want to develop their career and go into management? Well, there's lots of courses out there, you know, um, I would suggest, you know, doing sort of diplomas, whether it's in project management or management or leadership. So there's lots of different courses available. Um, and I've been lucky enough to do several leadership training courses, um, which have really helped um, my development. Um, and we've done it and you learn so much from the other people that you're doing the courses with. And um, that they're really vital. What would you say is one of the most valuable things that you learned? <laughs> Self-awareness. In what sense? Explain that to me. Um, just knowing your strengths and weaknesses and yeah, areas you need to work on in your own personal personal development, because that is a huge impact on the people around you. It's very important, really important, actually, you know, to know what you're good at and what or when you need to let other people step in. Gillian, there seems to be a constant need and a, certainly a constant drive for learning and progressing and getting new skills and stuff. Do, do you find that constant need for learning exhausting? No, uh, no well, I mean, no. <laughs> I, know, I should say, yeah, I'm exhausted. Um, but that could be loads of other things. Um, <laughs> um, it, um, no, because cause it's exciting. You know, like it, it, what we talked about earlier on about how disciplines are changing, you know, that, that the sector is changing with all that. Um, what was really interesting with Helen was saying about cars having 5G, I never would have even thought of that. But that whole digital pace is moving so quickly. But it comes back to the point about um, knowing your own skill set. And so there are people that will be really knowledgeable and educated and, and expert in those areas and, and whose skill set maybe is more aligned as these sort of newer disciplines come on board or more aligned to lining with them. But to the point that Helen was making as a manager, as a project manager, it's your job to get the best out of those people. And that's a different skill in terms of understanding how to get the best out of them. So it's 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 a yeah that that leadership is is a constant learning and i find a lot of it is mm. learning mm. as you're do, you know learning as you're doing and as you're having more visibility in different parts of your own organization like Helen was talking about being on the executive board now but it, it, when i move into different levels you know you you can you you can see and you can get a little intimidated at first and think oh right wow i'm a long way from there but that's fine because you have just moved into that area and you need to listen and learn to see how everybody else behaves doesn't mean you need to behave as they do but understand what take what you need from that to to develop your own skill set and move it on but it's exciting dusty like there's so much to go at just it's definitely not uh, exhausting because of the the opposite would be true you'd be exhausted if yeah. you weren't there <laughs> and you'd be so bored so the lifelong learning is just part of life for everybody now and even when 
when we're retired and it's like you can't that openness to to new learning is key well let's leave it there for today Helen Hughes and Gillian Bolton thank you so much for joining us on our podcast thank you thank you very much if you'd like to find out more about Helen and Gillian and some of the topics that we spoke about today you'll find notes and link details in the show notes area on your player right now And of course, you'll find more information and exclusive advanced episodes of our Engineers Ireland Amplified podcast on our website at engineersireland.ie. Our podcast today was produced by dustpod.io for Engineers Ireland. If you'd like more episodes, do click the follow button on your podcast player to get access to all our past and future shows automatically. Until next time, for myself, Dusty Rhodes, thank you for listening. Listener.